It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. Only one time in the Bible is the bride of Christ referred to as Hephzibah. That's H-E-P-H-Z-I-B-A-H. It's a name given to those who are married to God in a covenant relationship in Isaiah chapter 62, verse 4. It's rarely claimed and rarely understood by the children of God, yet its interpretation is so wonderful, and it will escort us back to the glory of the Garden of Eden, yet in an even greater, more beautiful, more perfect sense. So let's go there right now. In order to get a real deep appreciation for this name revealed in verse 4, I'm going to quote 10 of the 12 verses from Isaiah 62. In fact, if you're able to right now, I suggest that you get your Bible or maybe open up a Bible app on your phone or your iPad and read along with me, Isaiah chapter 62. It's such a beautiful chapter that projects us into the future, the messianic age that is about to unfold when utter perfection will reign on this planet and heaven and earth will merge. Eternity and time will come together. Listen closely, starting with verse 1 in Isaiah 62. For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land any more be termed desolate. But you shall be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah, for the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord do not keep silent and give him no rest till he establishes, till he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. And then moving over to verse 10, it talks about the invitation going out. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, take out the stones, lift up a banner for the peoples. Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the world, say to the daughter of Zion, surely your salvation is coming. 
Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. While there is such richness in that passage of scripture, Isaiah 62, we know that God is describing new Jerusalem, the capital city of a new creation yet to come. And in this passage, as well as other passages, that city is referred to also as Zion. Now, it's important to see that the word Jerusalem means possession of peace. And Zion means fortress because Jerusalem, or spiritually speaking, New Jerusalem, is comprised of all of those who possess the peace of God that passes understanding in the midst of a world that is full of anxiety and strife. And even as Zion means fortress, so those that make up this eternal city, New Jerusalem, they are now and forevermore a fortress of faith. Right now, a fortress of faith in the midst of a world full of unbelief a fortress of trust in God in a world full of despair, fortress of goodness in a world full of wickedness, a fortress of love in a world full of hate. Yes, Jerusalem and Zion are not only names of a particular city, but more perfectly, they are names of those who identify with that city both in time and in eternity. And it's a revelation of what we possess. We possess peace. We are a fortress in the midst of a world that is in great conflict with the wicked one and all of his demonic underlings. Now, how do I know that the city of Jerusalem is representative of the bride? Let's go to Revelation chapter 21, verses 9 through 11. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. That's what the angel said to John when he was caught up in this revelation that is wonderfully conveyed to us in the book of the Revelation. And listen to the next verse. And John explains, He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like a most precious stone. So the angel says, Come, and I'll show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carries him away, and he sees a city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It also says in the same chapter. So God is not married to a city. A city is just made up of lifeless buildings, places of habitation. God is married to those who will inhabit that city forevermore, for all eternity. And so Every aspect of what is revealed in Isaiah 62 about that city is actually on a higher level 
a metaphorical, poetical analogy and parable-like revelation of the bride of Christ. So let's go through it now again, verse by verse, for a few minutes. Isaiah 62, verse 1, the prophet says, For Zion's sake I will not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. Well, when is that going to happen? That will not happen until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back again. And he sets up the hub of the kingdom of God in Jerusalem, a most despised city through the ages. Jerusalem has been burnt to the ground 28 times, according to one historical account that I read. Think of that. It's always been such a place of controversy, with controversial ideas swirling around the city about the nature of God and the nature of religion, and several religious groups laying claim to that city and vying for the control of that city. No wonder the Bible talks about the controversy of Zion. And yet one day, the righteousness of God will cloak that city and salvation will burn so brightly from that city there will be no need for the sun to shine in it by day nor the moon by night. But the Lamb will be the lamp of that city. What a glorious era is ahead of us. And then in verse 2 of Isaiah 62, The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. Interestingly, everything in the kingdom to come will receive a new name. Even the Lord Jesus Christ himself, you can read that in the book of Revelation. He will have a new name. Why? Because he will have a new function. The name that God bears at any given time usually describes what he is doing for his people at that time. And right now his name is Jesus, or in the Hebrew, Yeshua, which means salvation. Well, in the kingdom to come, salvation will no longer be needed. It will be fully affected. And so not only will Jesus receive a new name, the Bible said you and I will receive a new name engraved in a white stone that no man knows but the one who gives it and the one who receives it. Think of that. That leads me to believe you'll be known by two names in the world to come, one that everyone knows you by and one that only God knows about. And he will use that name when you and God are intimately fellowshipping alone together and experiencing indescribable ecstasy in each other's presence. Imagine that. Let's go to verse 3, Isaiah 62, 3. You shall be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. So the holy city... New Jerusalem is described as a crown of glory. Well, what does a crown symbolize? A crown represents victory, authority, dominion, strength, and power. And if the city of God is referred to as a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, then it represents the fact that no longer is Jerusalem a besieged city besieged by hatred 
flowing from the nations or rejection and ridicule and persecution, but rather Jerusalem will be a crown of glory in God's hands. Think of that. And a royal diadem. So Jerusalem will be lifted up in a spectacular way as his chosen city. Isn't it amazing that the city that has suffered such rejection through the ages, such conflicts, such warfare, such dominion of Gentile empires that have ruled it from time to time, one day will be God's chosen city. Why does he speak of that city as a crown? Because again, that city represents the bride that will be located in that city eternally, in the new creation, the new heaven and the new earth, in new Jerusalem. And so God, in a sense, will crown himself with the bride of Christ because a crown speaks of something that represents your greatest achievement. And his greatest achievement is the formation of the bride of Christ out of this fallen world. And also Proverbs 12 verse 4 says, a virtuous woman is a crown to her husband and the bride of Christ that has been created by being immersed in his holiness, filled with his Holy Spirit begotten by his holy word in a relationship with the Holy Father. And each individual born again in the new man is created in righteousness and true holiness. Yes, this bride of Christ is a virtuous woman filled with the very holiness of God. And she is a crown to her husband. She is one who brings him great joy and fulfillment and completion. That's what it means to be a crown to her husband. But also God will crown the new world with his bride elect. Let me take you to Zechariah chapter 9, verses 16 and 17. The Lord their God will save them in that day, speaking of the day of final redemption. The Lord their God will save them in that day as the flock of his people, for they shall be like the jewels of a crown, lifted like a banner over his land, for how great is its goodness and how great is its beauty. Speaking of that crown, God will make his people like a jeweled crown that he will crown the world with, because we will be kings and priests reigning with him forevermore. And of course, a crown represents regal authority, reigning over not only a new earth, but a new creation. For he said, he who overcomes shall inherit all things. And that includes the corporate inheritance of the entire renovated universe, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around what is yet to come. Now let's get to verse 4 of Isaiah 62. You shall no longer be termed forsaken. There was a time when you felt forsaken and others thought you were forsaken. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land anymore be termed desolate. There was a time when your life looked like a desolate wilderness. But you shall be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. Now there's 
some deep revelation here. Because Hephzibah means my delight is in her. Isn't that awesome? My delight is in her. So God is fully delighted that you are married to him in a covenant relationship. He delights in the relationship he has with you, not only in this world yet to come, but right here, right now. He's delighted to be yours, and he's delighted that you are his. God would rather spend five minutes with you because you're yielded to him and married to him in covenant relationship than hours with the most popular personalities in the world that are not saved. God would much rather spend time communing with you. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. In other words, everything about you, everything that pertains to you, everything that surrounds you, your purpose in eternity, it will all be fully, completely married to the Most High God. Now, I think it's very revelatory that at the time this prophecy was given, Hezekiah was the king of Judah, and his wife's name was Hephzibah. And so there's a layered prophecy here. Everyone who heard this prophecy from Isaiah knew that there was some connection with Hezekiah the king and Hephzibah his wife but it was bumped up to a higher level of insight when they realized it's talking about the eternal king of kings and his bride forevermore, Hephzibah, which means my delight is in you. But it goes even deeper because, see, the name Eden for the garden God created in the very beginning means delight. The Garden of Eden was a delightsome place where God walked with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve talked face to face with God. He breathed his very essence into Adam. His hands molded and shaped them both. What an amazing, delightful thing life was to walk with the Creator and to inherit from him this wonderful, beautiful place of pristine glory called the Garden of Eden. We're headed back to something even greater. In the beginning, it was two people in a garden. In the end, it will be a multitude no man can number occupying a city that is so huge, the measurements are 1,500 miles long on either side. Think of that. Think of how big a city that is. And of course, it's all symbolic. We don't know if it's literally going to be that big, but it was God's way of showing the enormity of what is yet to come. And there's some scriptures that talk about how we should delight in him. Like Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners or in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Romans 7.22, Paul said, For I delight in the law of God, 
according to the inward man. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now a promise is attached to it. Then Psalm 37, verses 10 and 11, it talks about the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Wow. So God wants you to delight in him, and he's going to grant you the gift of peace in which you will delight. Now, let me talk about how God delights in us, and then we'll close. Proverbs eleven twenty says, those who are of a perverse heart are an abomination to the Lord, but the blameless in their ways are his delight. Proverbs 15, 8 says, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. And then Psalm 16, verse 3 says, as for the saints who are on the earth, and the word saint means one who is cleansed from the defilement of sin and separated unto God for his divine purposes. That means every born-again believer, every redeemed person from the old or new covenant is referred to as a saint. And God said, as for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. I want you to let that occupy your mind today, this week, for months to come. Your life is not just something God endures because of the fluctuating things that happen in your mind and your emotions. God understands your struggle. He delights in the way you cry out to him. He delights in those moments where you prayerfully commune with him. He delights to live in you. He delights to form and shape your future into something beautiful to give you beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Start seeing yourself the way God sees you. He's delighted to call you his son or his daughter. You are Hephzibah, the queen of heaven, the bride of the eternal king of kings and lord of lords, the one whose name means my delight is in her. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shree, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given his people by getting your copy of Mike Shree's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.